For every command in the Bible to keep the Sabbath, there are up to 50 texts that tell us to be happy. So if we're Sabbath keepers, but not happy ones, you know what we are? Sadvinists. But if we're happy, then we're gladvinists. And you see, if a person is a sadvinist long enough, he can end up a madvinist. <laughs> and his children begin to leave home and they become gadvinists. And then they end up badvinists. So you see, it's a bad, bad route, this sad deal. 826, 826 texts of Scripture tell us to be happy. So I think it's about time we did, don't you? Yes. So you'll know that during this series, and I believe during this pastorate, I believe that uh, you might as well make up your mind that nobody is going to be sinning if he's happy. In fact, you know something? I'll let you in on a secret. You acted almost as happy this afternoon as Baptists. And that's not a joke. I'll tell you, I've been to many Baptist meetings. They're a happy group, right? And uh, it just thrills me to see Adventists are happy. <laughs> it really does. We have every reason to be happy in the Lord. Every reason in the world. Now, uh, this... I hadn't authorized this picture, but you can still put it back on because I'd like to look at it too. I hadn't seen it before myself. Well, now, isn't that beautiful? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I can see that we have an artist in the group here. This is something extra. It's frosting on the cake, isn't it? <laughs> A regular potluck of pictures. Thank you so much. Did you do that, Nancy, or did your daughter? Where in the world did she... She left after she did it. <laughs> All right, we're so happy. That was beautiful, thank you. All right. Our text for this afternoon has to do with empty prayers and how we don't have to pray empty prayers anymore. Maybe you join with me in that nail prayer in your hearts. Dear Lord, make each one of us a nail on the wall to hold your picture in its place. And we thank you in thy name. Amen. There are two worlds. There's the seen world and the unseen. And 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us about the unseen world. And it says this. While we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Two separate, distinct worlds, and yet blending in the heart of a Christian. The one world is the world of faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things, what? not seen. You see, we see a human being. We can either see him, we know he's there because we see him, or we hear him, or we touch him, but we don't see God, we don't hear his voice, we don't touch him physically. 
which means that there are two distinct worlds, right? There's the world of faith, of the unseen, and there's the world of the seen. And because many of us forget that there is this world, the unseen, we get frustrated in our prayers. We think unless we see answers that they aren't there. But let us never forget there's the world of the unseen. It's a life of faith, Romans 1.17. And it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of, of God, of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That's unseen. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just do not live by touch or by hearing or by sight. In this world of the temporal, of the physical, God wants us to come into a relationship which is spiritual. It's a life of faith. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Did he see him face to face? We have no proof. Did he touch him? We have no proof. Did he hear his voice as such? We have no proof. He walked in a new life, a life of the unseen. Enoch walking with the unseen, with the unheard, with the untouched. And oh, what a walk it was. But it was walk of faith. Now, this brings us to the subject of prayer. And I'd like to have you notice some of our empty prayers, prayers that seemed empty. And while you look at this a moment, do you know what makes claiming Bible promises real? You know what makes them meaningful? I hope the Holy Spirit will impress us as we share a bit with you. The thing that I have found in my life that makes claiming Bible promises real and meaningful is the one who speaks these promises. I cannot see him. I cannot hear his audible voice. I cannot touch him, but the just shall live by what? By faith, not feeling, not any sense, but by faith. So I found in my experience many, many times that the thing that would make a promise very real to me, and just not so many words, was as I would claim a promise, I would connect that promise to the one who made the promise. Why would you do that? Christ is the Word of God, right? The Bible says so. So the Word of God which we read and Christ the Word of God are one. So as I take a promise from the book, I am actually taking Jesus Christ. And if I merely take it as so many words and not as the life of Christ, I'm merely dealing with a theory instead of the person of Jesus. This is why we had in our little red book of Bible promises. By the way, don't order anymore. People keep coming to us and saying, do you have any left? We have n none of these books left. God's promises solve my problems. And the others are rapidly going. And we aren't doing any new additions at this time of any of them. But I found this, 
And those of you who have the little book called God's Promises Solve My Problems, any of you have that little book? You may want to read pages 10 to 13. Pages 10 to 13 in that book represent the walk with God as we claim his promises. We don't, just don't say, Lord, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I must claim this promise, these words. No, 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 no. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is made unto us wisdom. Wisdom is Christ. Christ is wisdom. So when I claim wisdom, I'm to claim Christ in the form of wisdom. You see? For me to merely say, I want wisdom. No, no, that isn't it. I want Christ in the form of wisdom. When I need guidance, Psalm 32, 8. Not just I need guidance, I need Jesus Christ who is my guide. I need Christ in the form of guidance. When I need righteousness, I don't need righteousness per se, I need Jesus Christ who is made unto me righteousness. So claiming promises actually is claiming Jesus Christ in my life in the form of the promise. I have sat down, I've laid down in my, on my couch when I've had some very heavy crises in my life, and I have gone through the promises for those who have the little red book, pages 10 to 13, and all those statements, pages 10 to 13, and God's promises solve my problems, all those statements have to do with God. And I've, I've, I, as I have lay down there on the couch, I've said, Lord, here is how I know that you're answering your promise. This is how I know you're fulfilling your word. Numbers 23, 19. Now listen to this. How the promise is God. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Who are we talking about? God. To whom are we looking? God. With whom are we conversing? God. It's not just so many words. We're talking to God, and God is talking to us. You see? So claiming promises is not just so many words. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue with a living God. Numbers 23, 19. You'd have thought I wore it out but it's like a muscle. The more you wear it, the stronger it is. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? So I've said, Lord, I know I'm receiving the answer because you gave it. You cannot lie. You will not fail. And then another promise of Jesus. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall not pass away. Who are we talking to? The Lord. Who made the promise? The Lord. What is the word? The word is Jesus Christ, who was made flesh. He is now in his word. So we're claiming him, you see. Now, when we think of it this way, a statement made by my favorite author in a beautiful book called Early Writings, page 72, becomes meaningful. It says this, The weak should therefore look to Jesus. Then they exercise faith. Faith in God's promises is faith in Jesus. 
It's looking to Jesus. Will Jesus lie? No. Will Jesus break his word? No. And I have, at times when I've been utterly weak and helpless and frustrated, as I have, have just rested on my couch, I've spent 40 minutes going through promises that state that God will not lie. God will never fail. God is true. And at the end of 40 minutes, I've been a completely different person. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1:27. So the word of Christ is Christ. And always when we claim the promises, think of Jesus. We've held meetings with young people in the 9th and 10th, 11th and 12th grades and so on. And one of the questions that often comes in is this. How can you have faith? And I've said to them something like this. I said, let me ask you a question. You all believe the Bible, right? All the hands go up. All right, then we believe the Bible. Now, uh, you will say this, Lord, I believe the Bible. And Lord, since I believe the Bible, I believe everything that's in the Bible. Since I believe everything in the Bible, I believe this promise that says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And I've led them in it. I believe the Bible. Would you like to say it with me? I believe the Bible. <laughs> really? Let's repeat it. I believe the Bible. Now, since I believe the Bible, I believe everything in it. Let's say it. Since I believe the Bible, I believe everything in it. Since I believe everything in it, I believe this promise. That's faith. I believe the Bible because God inspired it. I believe this promise because it is God in the form of his promise. So then, when I claim a promise, I can say, I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. My wife and I were conducting a series of meetings in uh, what is now called Mount Pisgah Academy. It was before it was Mount Pisgah. It was 1947. We had had this wonderful experience in learning the ABCs of prayer in 1946. Uh, when I was pastor at Madison College in 47, they invited us over that fall to hold a series over at Mount Pisgah at the academy. And we were so happy that we had the privilege. It was in the fall of the year when there were the acorns were all over the ground, just scattered all over the ground. And I was so happy because there's a statement in, my, in a book written by my favorite author in the book Education, page 257, that says, as surely as the oak is in the acorn, so surely is God's gift in his promise. If we receive the promise, we have the gift. So I picked up a few of these acorns, and one evening as I started speaking, I said, look, see this acorn? This acorn contains an oak tree. It contains a trunk, two leaves, and roots. You cannot see the oak tree, but the oak tree is in that acorn. Rutherford Platt, a prize winner in science, declared that in every apple seed, there's an apple tree, three departments, trunk, two leaves, and roots. In every persimmon seed, there's a persimmon tree, trunk, two leaves, and roots. 
a wild persimmon seed can be cut slantwise, and you can actually see the little tree in it. So as I was exulting and explaining to these young people the wonders of God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing, creative promises, it made Satan, as I tell little children, when you fall in love with Jesus, I tell the little children, it makes Satan as mad as the devil. One little child will speak up and say, he is a devil. I said, that's why he gets that mad. And Satan was so angry, right in the middle of the week, Wednesday, we received a long-distance call from my brother in St. Louis, Missouri. My brother had suffered from a nervous break. He often had attack of jitters. He didn't dare to drive an inch when this attack would come on. He had started from Madison College, where he was staying with us at the time. He'd started across the continent to a special meeting where his son was engaged. He got as far as St. Louis, had an attack of jitters, called me Wednesday, Glenn, would you come right out and drive me back to Madison? I've had an attack of jitters. I don't dare to go either way. And the thought came to me, wait a minute. We're right in the middle of this series. These students are beginning to eat up these promises. If we should leave them, they could, having studied them but superficially, they could go into all kinds of extremes, presumptuous prayers, and turn them off, and they become discouraged. And if I leave them, I, I would never forgive myself. On the other hand, if I did not go to pick up my brother and he started home and got killed, I'd never forgive myself. So I said, Miles Roy, I said, I'll call you back right after the meeting tonight. I'll go down to Asheville to pay both and call you back. After we hung up the telephone, thinking of calling him back, my wife and I opened to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask of whom? God. It's a conversation with God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, he doesn't scold us, it shall be given. But let him ask in faith, what? Nothing wavering. And so my wife and I put our hands gently on that promise. We don't put our hand on a Bible promise for some magic. It's just a gentle, trusting gesture. I'm leaning on you, Lord. And both of us prayed. My wife prayed, then I prayed. And as I was praying, I had the most uncanny feeling in prayer I think I have ever had in my life. I felt as though my prayer was empty. I felt as though it didn't go to the ceiling. I felt as though the walls were soundproof. I felt as though the ceiling was soundproof. Here I had been exulting in answered prayer. All of a sudden, this thing unexpectedly came over me. I couldn't explain it. But it was really awful. It was painful. Now what are you going to do?
there are two routes to take. One route is to say, dear Lord, what are you doing? The other is to say, Lord, you are hearing. And so very quietly, I kept repeating audibly, reverently, thank you, Lord, for wisdom. James 1, 5. Thank you, Lord, for wisdom. Because what? He that wavereth is what? Like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. You see, the reason why so many people do not get the answers they want is because they tell the Lord, you aren't hearing. And he said, okay, that's exactly what's happening. As you say, I will do. If you say, I'm not hearing, I'm not. If you say, I am answering, I am answering. The Bible says that. Numbers 14, 28 to 30, God said, as you've spoken in my ears, I'll do. The ten spies says, said, we cannot take that land. The Lord said, you're right, you can't. The two spies said, we can take that land by your grace. And the Lord said, you can and you shall. As you speak, it'll be done. So we could have taken the route. Lord, what are you doing? You're paying no attention to us. And the Lord said, you're right. But we could say, Lord, thank you. You are giving us wisdom. And he would be. So quietly I said, thank you, Lord, for wisdom. And what do you suppose happened then? It felt just as empty as it did before. What will you do then? Repeat it. Romans 10.10. 10. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So again, quietly I said, thank you, Lord. You are giving us wisdom. You know what happened then? Same thing. No change whatsoever. Now what are you going to say? Lord, I did it three times and you haven't answered. Why? Elijah did it seven times and did not give up until the answer appeared, though small. Amen? So I repeated. I must have repeated maybe seven times. Quietly. Thank you, Lord. You are giving us wisdom. And then a very, very faint outline like an outline in the fog came to my, my soul, a thought voice. You'd surely call it an impression. And the impression was the voice of the Lord. And it said this, go to the pay station as you promised your brother. When you call him on the telephone, say to him, uh, Miles Roy, uh, I'll pick you up right after our series closes. And he will answer, Glenn, I feel a little better. If I don't try to limp more than 100 miles a day, I believe I can get back to Madison safely. And I said to my wife, it came through. Let's do it. After the meeting that, that night, my wife and I went into Asheville to the pay telephone called my brother, Miles Roy, this is Glenn. I'll come right out immediately after the week of prayer. And the answer gave me goosebumps. Glenn, I feel a little better. If I don't try to, to travel, if I don't try to limp more than 100 miles a day, I think I can make it back all right. 
That night, I had another story for the youth. I said, see what happened today. Satan, I don't know the words I used, but Satan got so mad. Isn't he a devil? Yes or no? And I said, and the Lord came to our rescue. A wonderful answer. And then that made Satan as mad as the devil. White heat now. He was madder than the underwriters would guarantee. And the next day, what I received the next day, the first day was like ABC, like one, two, three. I received a letter from my brother, David Kuhn, in New York State. Dear Glenn, come back to New York State immediately. Something terrible has happened. New York State is going to prosecute you. And I didn't smile like I'm smiling now because it's been, it's been 30 years since. And I know what happened, so I can smile now. But I didn't smile then. I thought, the state of New York? For what? I haven't held anybody up. Never once. I haven't killed anybody. What in this world could that be? The state of New York. If he'd said some man is going to prosecute me, that would have been bad enough. But the state that's always right, you know. And then I went out. I went out on the hills and back of that academy. And I want to tell you, I opened my Bible. And I struggled for maybe an hour straight. And I just claimed every promise I could lay my tongue to. Here's one of the promises that I claim in a situation like that, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee will prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is me, saith the Lord. And as I was there praying and walking and praying and walking and kneeling and praying and beseeching and crying out to God, Lord, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what this is about. My brother has not given me the slightest inkling of what it's about. Lord, should I call my brother? Evidently he doesn't know. If he'd known, he'd have told me. I don't have money to make a lot of long-distance calls, dear Lord. Who shall I call? And as I was praying at the end of about an hour, and in the meantime, all of this came to me. If I'm taken to court in New York, I don't know what it's about, but may the Lord help me to be a wonderful witness because it says every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you're going to condemn. You'll be a witness. And I pictured myself there in court declaring the power and the love of God. And as I was doing it, the Lord said, okay, you've committed yourself completely to me enough. And the thought voice came through, call Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker was a surveyor who had surveyed off our farm up there. Maybe he would know. I called Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker, I've just received a letter from my brother David in Union Springs, New York, that the state of New York is ready to prosecute me. He said, oh... He said, Mr. Kuhn, uh, I know what that's about. 
He said, when a surveyor surveys off a property, he is supposed to record it. And I neglected to record it. I know what's about. I'll record it tomorrow. No problem. Forget it. Think of that. What the devil tried to do over a little thing like a man having neglected to record. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, when I say Satan is a devil, I know some of you believe it. Really. Maybe some of you have met him. You know, the only way to meet the devil is go toward heaven, then you'll meet him. Because he's on the road to hell. And anybody that doesn't believe in the devil, they're going the same direction, right? When they go in the opposite direction, they go to meet him. Really, truly. I said, Lord, if that isn't wonderful. And the next night, I talked to the students. I said, look at what happened today. How the old devil tried his best to overcome me. But he didn't accomplish it. Students, you can take hold of God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, never failing word. And he will hear. You may ask Matthew 7, 7. You may believe Mark 11, 24. You may reach right up and say, thank you, Lord, you always hear me. John 11:41. And I want to tell you, friends, that little group of students found such a marvelous fellowship in Jesus Christ, it thrilled our hearts. As young people are finding the Lord and finding answers to prayer, God wants us to. Today, Brother Newharth brought some mail to me. One letter was in an envelope, and it was fat. And as I opened it and read it, we don't read our any business mail on the Sabbath, but we re read missionary requests. This young woman told the story of how Jesus meant nothing to her. She had joined the church just to, hoping to get into heaven because she was scared not to be in heaven. Have you ever heard of people being scared? They accept the Lord in a fashion because they're scared. <laughs> ever hear of that? Isn't that awful? Scared. And she said, that's why I went to church. I was scared of the time of trouble. You know, it's awful for you and me to talk about the time of trouble to people, to scare them. We should well know the events in the closing days of Earth's history. We shouldn't stick our heads in the sand like the, like the proverbial ostrich. We should know the events. But we should not go into orbit around the negatives, scaring people to death. Amen? No. The Bible says, by beholding, we're what? Transformed into the same image. If you find people who are talking about seven last plagues, seven last plagues, seven last plagues, you know, Sooner or later, they'll be one of the plagues. They say, the time of trouble, the time of trouble, the time of trouble, till they become troublemakers. By beholding, you're changed. They say, have you heard about the pestilence now? The pestilence, the pestilence, till they become a, a society pest. By beholding, we're changed. God wants us to look at the beauty of Jesus Christ. We know the events. We know there's a dark tunnel ahead, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Praise the Lord. She said, and then she said, I went to church, I backslid, I went to church again, I was baptized the second time, I backslid again. 
And she said, and then somebody gave me a tape by Steve Marshall. It was a flower story. And then she said another tape entitled Blessed Assurance. Anybody ever have seen that message? Blessed Assurance? May I see any hands? Blessed Assurance. And she said, I went home from that, from that message on videotape, and I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Never had such an experience. She said, I really loved him. My whole soul went out to him. And then she said, I found a tape by Glenn Kuhn. And she said, it had to do with family communication. She said, I was a nagging wife. I nagged, hammer, 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 nag, 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 hammer, 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 nag, 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 you know. And she said, and God gave me victory over being a nagging wife. My. She said, I am now looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm in love with him. My whole soul has gone out to him. Oh, my friends, that is the fellowship that God wants you and me to have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, this was part of my experience in hearing God's voice. But I didn't hear it except a thought voice. Did you know that you and I can hear all hear his voice in another area? I like it very much. I have a favorite author who has written a book entitled Christ's Object Lessons. On page 59 of that beautiful book, it says in effect this, Only he who takes the word of God as the voice of God speaking to him personally is a true learner. Isn't that something? So when I open this book, this is God speaking to me, Glenn Kuhn, personally. So I can put my name right in a promise. 31 years ago, when I thought the first time it looked I was going to die, I opened to Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I said, Lord, that's wonderful. I said, I'm going to read a little beyond this. And I got over the sixth verse, and it says, And I will bring you health and cure. And I put my first and last name in it. And it said this, I will bring Glenn Kuhn health and cure. Because God is speaking to whom? He's speaking to me. I'll bring Glenn Kuhn health and cure. I will cure Glenn Kuhn. I will reveal unto Glenn Kuhn the abundance of peace and truth. Now then, I'm reading God's word as his voice speaking to my heart. Is anybody else here, anyone here this afternoon, who has ever put your name in a Bible promise? Has anyone ever done it? Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Several have done it. When Brother Steve and Brother Dave were just accepting Christ and they got a hold of one of our books, it was entitled, The ABCs of Bible Prayer. They got through, nearly through the first chapter, and there I had suggested, take your Bible now, I said, and if you'd like, and open it to 1 John 2.25. And would you like to do that? 1 John 2.25. And if you'd like to read it with me. And this is what it says. And this, 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, us. Who is us? Glenn Kuhn. Who is your us? 
your first and last name. Would you like to read it again and as, or quote it? When we come to the word us, instead of saying us, would you like to give your first and last name? And notice, and this is the promise that he hath promised Glenn Coon, even eternal life. Let's try it again. And this is the promise that he hath promised Glenn Coon, even eternal life. The first time I ever read that that way, it did something. As David and Steve put their name right in the margin and read it, David sat there and looked into Steve's face. Steve looked into David's face, and the tears trickled down their cheeks. And they told us they just sat there with the tears trickling down their cheeks for almost one half hour. To think, we who have been in the drug world, we who have been in the sex world, we have been in the sensuous world. We have been out pleasing ourselves. And now we've accepted Jesus. And we have eternal life. We eternally to be with Jesus. And the impact was so great that they just wept for joy. What about you and me tonight? Shall we thank God that we don't have to pray any more empty prayers? We never have to worry about whether we feel like he's answering. I have awakened hundreds of times in the morning feeling no more religious than a jackrabbit. But God was there all the while. Amen. He was not far away. He was just hoping that I would reach up by faith. For the just shall live not by feeling. The just shall live by faith. And now I want to read you something that means very much to me. This has to do with faith. When we have asked for God's blessings, this is the desire of ages 200, when we've asked for God's blessings, we should believe that we receive it for his blessing and thank him we have received it. Then we're to go about our duty assured that the blessing will be realized when we need it most. Then another from the beautiful book, Early Writings. True faith lays hold of and claims the promised blessing before it is realized or felt. Before it is realized or felt. One more. Do not wait to feel that you're made whole, but say, I believe it. It is so, not because I feel it, but because God is promised. Isn't that beautiful? So you and I are never again to depend on feeling. Amen? Never. And when somebody comes along to you and says, my prayers seem to be empty, I just don't feel I have it. Say, we don't have to feel it. The just shall live by faith. A young man came to us at Southern Missionary College many years ago, right in the midst of our revival. He said, Brother Kuhn, I've attended weeks of prayer that you've conducted years ago. And I felt impressed to give my heart to the Lord, but I never did it. He said, now this week, I have no feeling whatsoever. What shall I do? I said, remember that salvation is a business transaction. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, Christ was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can say, Lord, I confess my sins and I lay my sins on Jesus, feeling or no feeling. And you can say, and Jesus died in my place. I accept him as my substitute and surety. And you walk right to the altar and claim it as a business transaction. 
And he did. And he found the salvation in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, thank you this evening for Jesus our Savior. We thank you, dear Lord, that we have the right right now to cry out. We know that you always hear us. That you always give us that which we ask for or something better. Dear Lord, at this hour, without a doubt, there are many dear hearts who came in without assurance in Jesus. They love you. They want to serve you. But Lord, what a tragedy it is for any of us to travel along life's pathway, even the professed Christian pathway, without that assurance. Thank you right now. We can claim it. 1 John 1, 9. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Did you come in without that assurance and will you take it right now in Jesus? If so, lift your hand. Thank you, Lord. We take this sweet assurance, forgiveness and cleansing and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.